been at Grace Point for about four and a half years, and we were in another church and trying to find something more intimate, a little smaller, that we could come in and see the same people each week, and we found that at Grace Point, and it's been really good. I think when we got here, uh, you know, from the parking lot into the uh, main entrance, the friendliness, the welcoming, um, I think when we got into the classroom and the teachers' engagement and we just felt really secure. We felt uh, welcome from the start, and uh, it kind of blossomed from there. I think for me, the thing that I like the most about Grace Point is I've been able to see our son Dawson start out in the infant room and grow with the church as he's gotten older, and it's just been really enjoyable to see him get to meet new people and have friends, and the teachers are really engaged. It's nice. And for us, we got involved in a group, so uh, we were able to engage with a smaller group outside the church um, and really have started to become really good friends with that group and be involved with them. We have these friends, uh, John and Sandra Oliphant and their family, um, coming here now. And uh, when we started, I guess it was a year into it, uh, you know, Jennifer, I think, reached out to Sandra. Neither one of us grew up in church. We were in loving families. Uh, it was a great environment. Uh, just. And just weren't, you know, the families just weren't dedicated to, to going to church every day and, and being a part of it. So we attended with friends and different things, but that was, it was an arm length at best. They're like our family, and it was just really important for me to make sure they had the same experience that we had because it had been so amazing. I just, I wanted them to be here. And they, they were already believers, and, and they lived. Uh, through their lives, and, and, and I have a great respect for that. Uh, and they, they were talking one day and said, hey, look, we, we found this new church, and we really think you guys should come and visit. We as a family, we walked in, and the hugs ministry caught us immediately, and, and just open arms and welcomed us. And, and it was just, a, it was one of those moments in life for me I, that it just all went away everything, all of the annoyances, all of the, the issues of the, the week and that morning, it, it just it was all, it just went away. And from that moment, the momentum just started carrying all the way through today. It was a great choice for them and they accepted Jesus and they both were baptized on the same day. Less than a year, we were standing, we were sitting together as husband and wife uh, in Mike's office on his couch and both proclaiming our, our love and, and our dedication to following Jesus Christ. To watch our family and, and our children be, be immersed in, you know, in, the, in the community and to be loved. To, to ourselves engaging and serving on mornings uh, with the wee world. Uh, and, and having the, the, the children in, in, in our classes just give back so much to us. To, to, to serving on the, the lead design execution team, which is laying the, the, the foundation and the pathway for the next generation and for, for everything to come. Uh, to within less than two months, I'll be going on my first global adventure. Uh, but that's, it's amazing. We're talking about less than three years uh, and, and how much God has worked uh, in our lives and hopefully how we've been able to engage and, and other people and, and involve and, and express our love for the Lord to, to others. I've noticed that. I've been traveling to, to communist China 
since 1998. In uh, all those years, and all of the people I've engaged, uh, the last two years, I've, I've come across and engaged uh, four or five people that I've sat down and in cars going across out in the middle of nowhere on the freeways of China having discussions about Jesus Christ and about the Bible. Another awesome God story to just kind of uh, ignite a flame in, or reignite a flame in us to just remember what God has done and what we anticipate God doing. I want to come back and address that, that awesome God story in, in a few moments, but I kind of want to take a survey now. And if, uh, if this describes you, anybody at any time, any of these examples describe you in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, so here it is. If you ever walk into a room and forget... I mean, literally from one room to the next, why you left that room to go to that room, get ready to raise your hand. If you ever are storming through the house in a, in a fury to find your lost keys, to only find them in your hand, get ready to raise your hand. All right? If you have ever gone to the store with just three items on the list, bread, milk, and eggs. There you go. Eggs, the staples of life. And you have forgotten one or two or more of them. Raise your hand. All right, come on. All right, good, good. Now we're getting a, a feel for this. this is, there's an issue here. I don't know what the issue is. I have a psychology minor. It doesn't even count for anything. So the best thing, I, I'm going to label this as a problem that we have in our culture. And it's the crowdedness of our minds. We have so many things going on in our minds that when we walk into a store for three items, the three items we get every time we go to the store, somehow we can't remember two of them or one of them. When in doubt, always get eggs, bread, and milk, and you will hit it eventually. Uh, you will get the right items. If you don't get them right every single time, you'll get it most of the time. But what happens is we go into the store, and some of you are the reasons we have this problem, okay? I know we're here in Walmart land, so some of you are the reasons we have this problem. We walk in and we smell the deli. We walk past all this fresh produce. We walk past the cupcakes. And all of a sudden, bread, eggs, and milk become last on our list because now we're hungry in the moment. And so now we get diverted. And that is a part of the crowdedness of our minds, that we go through life and so many things start bombarding us, so many things start pulling at us that we begin to lose. And it's this drift that begins to happen that we forget the staples, the most basic, the most fundamental. You need them all the time. You can't live without them. You've got to have them every time you go to the store. And somehow we forget the staples. You know, there's staples in all of life. Businesses have staples. And this problem is that when we, when we forget the staples, it's called a mission drift, that we begin to drift off mission. We begin to lose focus. And what happens in this mission drift is in, in, in a corporation, typically it's one person who stands up and says, we need to do this. We need to buy more eggs. We need to buy more bread. And we need to buy more milk. And that's our mission. All right, so we're going to go conquer this. And this man says, oh, yes, we're going to do this. And then all of a sudden there's this movement that happens, eggs, bread, and milk, what we all need to get so we all become a part of the eggs bread milk movement 
And then all of a sudden, that moves into a machine, and then that moves into a monument, and then that moves into the morgue. It's almost like a great big bell curve. That this mission drift begins to happen, whether it's a business, a church, a marriage. Remember whenever it was just about the other person? I mean, you remember you got married and you were in college and you just lived on ramen noodles and love? You know, it wasn't about all the other stuff. It wasn't about the toys and the trinkets. and the, It was just about love. It was about that other person. It was the man. It was the woman. And then it becomes this movement. We're going to get married. And, and you can see how it begins to happen again. It's going to manifest itself differently. And all of a sudden you wake up one morning and it's like, this is death. This is no fun anymore. Remember the good old days? We've fallen out of love. We've, we've just kind of drifted away. It happens in businesses. It happens in marriages. It happens in churches. It happens in our own individual faith. Remember when we used to be excited, so excited about Christ? We used to live for Christ and it was all about Christ. And it was a sweet, sweet experience just to be in His presence. And then now we come and we sit in a worship center and say, that wasn't that good for me. Was it any good for you? It becomes about what they present on the stage of whether or not my relationship with God is really alive and vibrant. See, this, this process that we go through, this swing that we go through is a very natural, it happens in all areas of our life. And the problem is if we aren't constantly calling ourselves back to eggs, bread, and milk, the staples if we don't constantly call us back to the staples, if we don't call my marriage back to the staples, if I don't call my business back to the staples, if we don't call the church back to the staples, we drift. And when we begin to drift, as it begins to write a different story on the, on the, on the pages of our life. Now I can say after 10 years of, uh, of starting and growing and pastoring, and here we are today, 10 years into this journey as a church, I know that we've drifted at times. It, it, it's inevitable, but I, I'm tell, I tell you this it, with, a, with a deep, sincere commitment, and this is a good time to kind of come back and revisit this, that I don't want to be a church that drifts off the staples, that we forget or lose the staples. The staples are what got us going. The staples are why we got started. The staples are, are there, and we cannot get off of the eggs, the bread, and the milk, the staples of our faith. Now, what are the staples of the Christian faith? And I can tell you right now, this is what started us. This is what I hope will be the, the ending story of the chapters of, uh, of our, our, our book, When Christ Comes. Whether I'm here or you're here or not, I hope Grace Point will always be about two things. Not five, but two things. Not ten, but two. About the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. If we can get those two things down, and if we can do them well in every area, if we can teach our children the Great Commandment, if we can teach our, our, our marriages the Great Commandment, if we can live out the Great Commandment, if we can know and live the Great Commission, if it begins to shape who and what we are and where we go and, and what we think about. And it's so important that from day one it's been a part of our purpose statement. But you know the purpose statements. that you, Your company has one. Everybody has a purpose statement. It's not what's written on the wall. It's what happens down the hall that really determines whether or not the mission statement is really the mission of your organization or of your church. But this is what I hope is our mission statement. It's what I'm going to keep bringing us back to. So let's say it together. If you've gone through North Point, you've, you've, you've heard it before. Say it with me. We have a great commitment 
to the great commandment and the great commission to build a great church for our great God. When in doubt, just throw great in there, all right? It's just, it's just something that we want to be so solidly committed to that nobody has to wonder what we're about. We're about the great commandment and we're about the great commission. And we believe that if we do that, we will be a great church. We will be a great church for our great God. And He deserves the best. One of my favorite little... Uh, if you call it Grace Point Proverb 1, chapter 1, verse 1, is, is that excellence inspires others, but it honors God. I, really, We've got to be a great church because that's what God desires of us. And so I think a great church is when we know what the great commandment is and we know what the great commission is and we are living it out. So for the next two weeks, I want to break apart the very basics of who we are as a church and you'll either identify with this. This is a great time. Ten years into this gig, and you've been with us for ten, five, four, three, two, one. I don't know how long you've been with us, or maybe just a day. This is a great time to either say, I align with this, or I don't align with this. I either need to move on, or I need to stay and, and become a part of this. Because this is what I want to be about. And so if you want to break down these, this great commandment and great commission, you can really break it down into five primary tasks. Worship and ministry, which I want to come back next week and talk about them. That's a great commandment. We're going to talk about that next week. Okay, We're going to start this week with a great commission. And if you want to break down the great commission, it's really outreach, community, and transformation. And hopefully you'll understand that a little bit as we go into it if you don't already, if you haven't already drank the Kool-Aid. But let's hopefully, 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 hopefully that those staples are not lost in our church. We don't get so busy about so many other good things. And there's a lot of good things out there. Most of the temptations of the church are not about bad things. They're about good things that draw us away from the great thing, the best thing that God wants us to be about. And what happens all of a sudden if it's the Great Commission, and this Great Commission is out there before us, and that's what we're supposed to be about, all of a sudden the Great Commission becomes the Great Omission. The Great Omission is whenever we know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. We know the verses. We know the mantra. We've drank the Kool-Aid, but it's not a part of our life. And all of a sudden, this great big commission that He's given us all of a sudden gets lost in the minutiae of all of life and all of a sudden all the busyness of chasing our kids from, from event to event and all of a sudden we lose the fact that, that we're supposed to be living out the Great Commission right in our neighborhoods, right with our soccer moms, and right in our business cubicles, and, and right in how, how we live out our life. It becomes the great omission. And the Bible says that that is sin. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. Let us not... It's not just what we do. It's drinking, smoking, chewing, and running with those who do. That's sin or any other things you want to list in there. It is omitting the thing that He wants us to do. And the great commandment is that. So we cannot get to heaven one day and, and, and as we stand before God and we're held accountable for our life that we live. And we cannot claim ignorance. If we claim ignorance, it's because we have not opened up the Scriptures. Because you cannot read the words of Christ and and not hear the Great Commission. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five different times in the last 40 days of His days on earth as He's ending His ministry and handing the baton off to His disciples. Hopefully everyone in this room is a disciple. He's handing the baton off to His disciples. He is giving them the commission. 
And what is that commission? And you can't miss it because it's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. It's recorded throughout. If you read in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he tells us to go into the world and proclaim the gospel to all, to the whole creation. Go. Whole creation. All the world. However your Bible translates it. Luke chapter 22, or 24, verse 46 to 48, he says it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be what? Proclaimed. In His name, where? To all nations. There's a theme here. There's a theme. Follow along. You can't miss it. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me. Even so, I'm sending you. Now, you think, okay, well, how did Jesus get sent? Well, you can read in Jesus' own words. He said, I came to seek and to save those who were lost. His own words. So if we're not going as Jesus goes, then are we really following what Jesus would want us to do? We really following? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you will receive power. The Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. There is something that is a common denominator. It is go. Now what part of go do we not understand? Going is a part of the mission, the commission that He has given us. Going, and then notice the other thing commonly throughout all all those passages, is that we're to proclaim, we're to be His witnesses, we're to share His story. Now I know that this makes us extremely uncomfortable, but hang with me on this. I am no more comfortable with this than you are. I get sweaty palms. I get stuttering lips. I, get, I, I forget chapters and verses. I make up verses when I'm sharing because I get so stuttered and stammered along. One other passage. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. It's where we're going to be today. Matthew 28 verse 16 is where we'll look at. Again, I said five times he gave one great commission. Us to go. Matthew chapter 28 is probably the most detailed of the commission. He kind of breaks it down. It's not just go, it's not just proclaim, but he actually gives us some things to do uh, in that going and that proclaiming that are very important. But I think we need to break it down to, again, the very basics today. Verse 16, chapter 28 of Matthew, it says, Now the eleven, well, where's the other one? Twelve. Where's the twelfth one? Well, Judas you know, betrays Jesus. And we don't know at this point if he has hung himself yet, committed suicide or not. But here it is. Uh, Probably he has. He went to Galilee, to the mountain, in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, now notice this. Notice the combination going on here. They worshipped him, but some doubted. I love the dichotomy of that. They worshipped, but some doubted. You know, that is the epitome of a seeker-sensitive, it's-okay-to-be-a-doubter mentality. Come anyway. You don't have to have it all figured out to hang out with Jesus. And I love that, 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 that dichotomy because you would think if those who are walking with Jesus in this day of resurrection, in this moment of, of, his, of his near ascension, you would think that everybody are loyal, absolute, all-in followers. But 
out of just 11? You think out of 11, all of them would be in, but there's still some doubters mixed in with the worshipers. And Jesus is okay with that. All right? So we keep going. Verse 18, And Jesus came and He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Now, that's an important phrase there. That word authority is the Greek word excusia, which means that all power, authority, rights, Jesus could do it all. All right? He was, now notice he's not only just the power of, of Jerusalem and Judea and that general geographic area, but of the entire earth, but not only the entire earth, the entire universe, all right? So there's not, a, there's not a bit of creation that Jesus doesn't have authority, power, excusia over. But now one thing that's interesting in this moment, he's not only saying, I have all authority, and as I have authority, I'm going to give you authority. So we're receiving authority from the authority figure. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, I've got, I've got the authority. I can tell you to do this. I can give you the power to do this. You don't need a visa to do this. You don't need a government stamp to do this. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. How many of y'all have read this passage before? Raise your hand. One of the most common passages to read in Scripture. But I want to come back to the bread, eggs, and milk. Just because it's a staple of the Christian faith doesn't mean it's a staple in our life. It has got to be a part of our life. So what what is this authority that that we have? Notice he's got all this authority, all this responsibility. With with authority comes responsibility. So what is this this authority that we have? He tells us to go. That's a part of the authority. He says, go. I want you to go. That's a part of the authority. Now, when we go, what do we have authority to do? We have the authority that we need to do three things that are very important. To go to all the nations. And as we go to all these nations, that we can make disciples and that we can baptize and that we can teach. That's what we can do. We've got that authority from the one who has all the authority of all the earth. And that, 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 that idea of, of to the nations is not about geographical centers. It's about people groups. It's the word ethnos in the Greek, which, where we get the word ethnic groups. Every ethnic group, all 14,000 plus of them on the planet, needs to know, needs to have a clear presentation given to them of the gospel. Everyone needs to have this connecting community of believers. Everyone needs to have this, this life transformation relationship with Jesus Christ. If you break these areas down, I want to just real quickly spend the rest of our time on these three areas. One is that we have areas of authority that we as followers of Christ need to be about. One is to give hope to everyone. He says, I want you to go into this world and make disciples. Now, that sounds like a formal something here, some kind of sanctioning, but really it's giving hope. When you become a follower of Christ, you heard in John's testimony 
John Oliphant, the very beginning, you heard the life-changing testimony of what happens. You heard last week Monica's testimony. How it's restored her life. You know, you heard in there that even, even Gabe say that, that, that my marriage is like a honeymoon again. What happens is hope fills your life. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you're not following Him, you don't know that hope. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. And sometimes I wonder when I look out there and I say, you know what? We've got a mission to go to all the nations, to all the ethnos, to all the peoples of the earth. How can we not go? It's, we've got authority. We've got the rights. We've got the, the responsibility. We, the church of Jesus Christ, have got to be about that. Somebody who challenged me back early on in my ministry, and they just, and it was really one of the statements that rocked me, and that ended up sending Lori and I to the mission field uh, to Zambia. This is a mission field. Zambia's a lot of mission everywhere's mission field, but it was Zambia that God relocated us. So if you don't want your life changed, then you might go blah 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 right now as I say this. But here's the statement that got us. The guy said, "Why should everyone?" Why should anyone have a chance to hear the gospel twice until everyone has a chance to hear it once? And I thought there's a lot of legitimacy to that. And I think about America, and I think about all the plenty, plentiful opportunities, and then I think about the world, and I think about the last frontier, what missiologists call the last frontier. We're not talking about outer space. We're talking about the 1040 window. You've heard me refer to that. It's the last frontier, according to missiologists, that they say that there are more unbelieving people in this window of the world than any other window. And that we need to be about that window. It's where Troy and Cherie Hall, the first family out of Grace Point, to, to go and to live in this 1040 window. What a beautiful, beautiful sending out. There are people. They're us. And they're there. And we better be praying for them. We better not be forgetting them. And we better be lifting them up. And when you give a dollar, a portion of that dollar goes to help them. But it's not just a dollar and drop it in the plate and go on. It's making them a part of our life. It's, it's Robin Cloud who will be in probably the second gathering uh, who, who was just, just got back from Egypt. And we helped to send over there. And she was there during the uprising working in a Muslim nation of Egypt. And as you, of course you know the work that we have going on in West Africa. And then we have a team go, getting ready to go to Turkey in a couple of months. And then we've got family members of our own church who are working with their own family members in Vietnam. This is the 1040 window. And we need to be about this because and I know it's far away. And, and, I, and I know we don't know people over there. And I know we're so busy with soccer and, and so many activities around here. But guys... Gals, what about the bread? What about the, the milk? What about the eggs? It's the staples. And if we miss the staples, then the hot deli and the cupcakes, they're, they're meaningless. Let's not forget the staples. Giving hope to everyone. Number two, to connect people into faith communities. Notice that he said there, he says, as you go, 
You're going to make disciples, but also I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And baptism, what is that? how does that fit into faith communities? One of the very first acts of obedience that every believer needs to be a part of. It means if you're here today and you haven't been a part of it, and you're a follower of Christ, you need the first opportunity you can be a part. It's the first act of obedience, and that is to be baptized. It is that wedding ring, putting on, say, I'm declaring to the world that I am given to somebody. It's that, it's, that, it's that moment in time when I declare to the world that my faith belongs to Jesus Christ. And what's beautiful happens at that point is you become a part of the, of the church, a community of believers, of, of fellow baptized believers, of people who have made the same confession that you have. And you've heard us say it this before, and in fact, you say it with me if, you, if you've heard me say it, the best way to bless a community is to start a church. It's, it's the only organization that will bless a community, body, soul, and spirit. And you know what? What I want to see Grace Point as in the second decade is I want to see Grace Point far more intentional, far more strategic about planting, starting, growing, establishing, encouraging churches that are struggling, but helping churches that don't even exist to become churches. Helping believers to come together. That's what I want. I want the second decade. Now, you know what? We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. There's going to be some churches that we're going to try to start, and they're not going to get going. And We're going to have all that element. You know what? I'm okay with that. I'm okay failing forward. I have no problem with that. I had rather try and fail than to not try and fail 100% of the time. I want to be about what God's about. I don't want to miss the eggs, the bread, and the milk. The staples of what Jesus told us to do and to be about. I don't want to miss that. The third. The third commissioning that He gave us was not only to go and make disciples, that means give hope to them, not only to bring people into community as baptized believers all together under one faith. But but it's also, notice this last statement, teaching them, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is a part of helping people to find life transformation. Helping people find life transformation. Now notice that he didn't say teaching them all that I taught you. So much the church has been about teaching what Jesus taught. But if our teaching is merely downloading information, we've missed it. It is about life transformation. It's not about downloading information. It's about life transformation. You have to download the information before you will see transformation. But if we just simply say we did what Jesus told us to do because we downloaded information, wrong. Just because we have a class, just because we teach the gospel, just because we bring people to Jesus, not enough. There's going to be life transformation. Jesus said teach them to observe. That's the transformation. When their life begins to be changed and different, they begin to live on a different paradigm, they begin to think with a different world view. I want to see Grace Point in the next 10 years. You, look, you, saw, the John, you saw John's story? I, I want to see more of that. When I think about believers coming in 
not believers, becoming believers, going so far as to grow up, teach a preschool class, be on mission with God around the world. Even in his own job, when he's in China, he's on mission with God. The great thing is his company pays the check. He's just on mission with God. Wherever he goes, that's life transformation. That's what I want Grace Point Church to not stop being about. You forget the eggs and the milk and the bread. World-class Christians. What does a world-class Christian look like? That's what I want us to be. I want to be about world-class Christians, making them, being them. Here's what Rick Warren says, and I love it. He said, world-class Christians are the only fully alive people on the planet. Their joy, their confidence, enthusiasm are contagious because they know they're making a difference. They wake up expecting God to work through them in fresh ways. I want us to be about making world-class followers of Christ. We're going to do that when we help them become disciples. We give them the hope. They receive the hope. We're going to do that when they become a part of a faith community that challenges them and grows them. They're baptized believers in that community. We're going to do that whenever we teach them to observe all that Jesus taught and did and lived and was about. How have we done? Locally. I'm talking, let's start here. How have we done locally? in our own community. Think about your own life. Think about people that you've helped to bring to a faith relationship. I don't know how to... How many of you brought into this faith community just to begin to experience it? Was there a sin that's confessed that you've gotten out of your life? Is there an attitude or a promise that that you've changed or a promise that you've claimed? Is there a command that you're now obeying that you weren't obeying before coming here? you're reaping the fruit of that obedience? Is there an example that you're following that you weren't following before you came here? So how are we doing in helping people become Christ followers? Look at your own life. Start there. But now look out. Look, look, look into the lives of the people around you. Have you helped any of them come to a faith in Jesus Christ? How do you do that? Here's just some phrases. Invest. Invite. Intercede. And include. If we can get these four things into our life, into our DNA, day in and day out, on the job, on the soccer fields, wherever we live, we are investing in people who are not yet followers of Christ. We're feeling comfortable enough that, hey, I can invite you to Grace Point Church, and hopefully you're not going to be slapped and offended by our by our cultural, uh, by our culture, all right? Now, you may be offended by the gospel, but hopefully you're not going to be offended by the culture of our church, all right? Hopefully you're going to be embraced by our culture. And then you start interceding for them like nothing else. I mean, it's daily. Like you pray for your kids, you're praying for them. And then you're including them. You're including them in your body life group. You're including them in your life. You're including them. Again, I come back to the video that we started the message with. The Huffs, including great friends in their life to the point that they included them in their faith. That's what we're talking about. That's what we need. How are we doing globally? Locally, we need to do that 52 weeks out of the year. 365 days. That needs to be a part of our... How are we doing globally? You know, because it's really easy 
to look at Grace Point and to see all of our global connections and all of our global going and say, you know what, they're always about the world and they're not about here locally. We are about here locally 50 weeks out of the year, all right? What I want to challenge you is to give the world, give God's work, God's kingdom work, two weeks out of the year. Now, if you balance that out, I think the local still has it. If we're living the Great Commission here 50 weeks out of the year, what's two weeks somewhere else? It'll only sharpen you for back here, I promise you that. Some might think that we're too much about that, but I want to say we're not enough about it. We need to be more and more and more about it. We commissioned 12 we commissioned people before we ever had a church facility to the 12 nations of these flags that are out, out in the foyer. Those are the nations we went to before we ever had a building. We haven't added the other nations that our members have gone to since then. That's just before we had a building. Since that time, we have now really kind of zeroed our focus in that, hey, we're going to focus on the unreached sections of the world, that 1040 window. Now, we're going to go to the under-resourced. We just had a team come back this week from Zambia working in an orphanage. We're going to work with the under-resourced. But when we talk about strategic going, we're going to look at that window. And in the next 10 years, I hope we make a huge impact, at least in one people group. I hope that we make them all over that 1040 window. How many of y'all, I'd like to know, in this room right now, have gone on one of our global adventures or our mission trips of old. All right, raise your hand. All right, stand up. Give these guys a hand. All right, give them a hand. All right, thank you guys. This 1040 window is huge. And if you think about the 1040 window, how can we, how can we in the next 10 years make an impact that we'll see an impact? Well, you draw it down to one nation and one area of one, one people that we have focused on for the past 10 years, or actually past four years of the 10 years that we exist. It's been this little people group called the Bomber people. Now, little I say, and you look at the relative global, uh, global scale, there's 3,787,000 of them, all right? And that's, that's a big part. Now, of that 3 million, hang on to these numbers, okay? Less than 1.13% of those are followers of Christ. Now, how does that compare? Uh, followers, evangelical followers of Christ. How does that compare to a global scale? When you look at Haiti, Zambia, America, all of those nations, Mexico that we go to on a regular basis, there's 20% or more are evangelical followers of Christ. Now, they may be a mile long and an inch deep in their faith, but I'm just saying, okay? When you look at the 1040 window, when you look at that one people group, the bomber people, you have 1.13% followers of Christ. Of that 3.7 million of them, that means there's about 42,793 of them are followers of Christ. The rest of the 3,744,209 are animistic Islamic in their faith. Hang with me on this. What do I want to see? What do I want to, what, 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 what would happen? I would love to see 2% of these as followers of Christ. 2%. That would, that would result in another 32,947. Why 2%? Because 2% is kind of a key number in missiology. If, if 2% become followers of Christ, missiologists say that there's literally enough that if all those 2% became serious about their faith, they could, could, won't, will, 
another story, could literally evangelize and sustain themselves to become a full-grown church. Right now they're in a very formative state when they're 2%. They're not even in a formative state right now. 1.13 are followers of Christ. So for the next two weeks, I'm going to lay something out for you. As we talk about the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, that I'm calling our BHOG. Big, hairy, audacious goal, all right? For the next 10 years, I have a Great Commission BHOG and I have a Great Commandment BHOG, all right? So this week, next week, get ready for them. I would love for us in the next 10 years, that means everyone in this room somehow being a part of this, that we would see this bomber people become reached. I would love for that to happen. I would love for us to be catalyzed. I would love for us to be a part of the answer to this. What will that mean? That will mean, that will mean in some degree many more of us going that we've never gone before. Some have gone. We've sent over 100 people. And that's beautiful and wonderful. But what could we do if we sent 200, 400, 500 people in 20 trips? That's what we've seen. We can, we can go. We, we should all consider that a part of, of, of our calling in life. We should, we should pray. All right? Say, I'm up for that. I don't want to go. I want to pray. Well, start praying and let God change your heart. All right? If you don't know where to start, just start on your knees. And ask God to say, God, I don't have a heart for the bomber people, but would you give me one? Start with yourself and say, God, I want to care. I want to be brokenhearted. And for some of you today, right now, this is just like going, oh my gosh, get me past this message and get me back on to something else. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray for you and for me. Because you know what? We can do more than pray, but we can't do more until we pray. We have got to be about praying, serious praying. And I could tell you stories of differences in trips that I've gone on when I've known for certain that there are people praying for me versus times that I was lax in getting people to pray for me. Big difference. Huge difference. We can also give. When you give to our ministry budget, a portion of that goes to help in the Molly Partnership, that what we call the Molly Partnership. It was getting a new name today, and we're unveiling it. The trustees are all excited about it. I'm excited. Staff excited. We're excited. Here it is. Are you ready? We're going to start calling this a Kumba Project. Now, Kumba probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but the Kumba, there's a lady, obviously Sarah in our church, her bomber name was Kumba. And... And Sarah was significant. Sarah was a category manager. She was a buyer for Walmart before she became a category manager. God got all over Sarah and changed her. And many of you all know Sarah. Well, on her very first trip back in March of 07, no, excuse me, back in uh, September of 06, I believe it is, she went on the first vision trip to Mali. And on that trip, God began to work in her heart like nothing else. And she went from being a category manager just doing that and just living out her life as, as she would to becoming on mission for God to the Bomber people. She was on 13 of our 20 trips that we went to Mali. And it was in her death, in her passing, that we want her name, we want her legacy, we want her example to live on. And so we have this little acrostic for her name. 
Kumba. That was her bomber name. It was given to her the very first time she went. Kumba will stand from this point forward for keeping unreached missions, uh, uh, Bombra, alive. We want to keep that alive in our church. We want to keep that legacy alive in our church. You see where she's standing right now is in front of a table that is now in our, in, in our worship center. This table is, is the table that we would prepare meals on, we would filter water on. Last trip I went on in January, it became a hospital bed. This became, and everybody has written their name. Well, not everybody, but since we've had the table, but has, has written their names that, that mark their trip. And if you went on a trip, Hannah, uh, you went on a trip before this table, you need to come sign this table before you leave because this is a part of our heritage of going into a place that, again, many of us have not even gone to. But, you know, I want us to understand something, that this has been huge. We've not gone in and built buildings. We've not gone in and done a lot of things. We've gone in and we've done the Great Commission. And I want you to know that when we went in, there were zero baptized believers, and now there are over 35. And I just want you to get to see their faces. So guys, just start rolling that. I want you to get to know their faces. I want you to get to know their names. Because these are real people. Go ahead. These are our real people of the people that have become followers of Christ since we've been there. Real names with real stories. When I, when I die... I, I think I, I want to have, as a part of my legacy, a coffee table book made. Sounds stupid, I know, but hang with me on this. I've been collecting quotes out of books for years. For If you've been my assistant at any point, you know how many quotes I collect. I collect them, and I have certain quotes that I've collected throughout time. And I have favorites. I added a new favorite yesterday. And I hope if nobody else reads these quotes, because you know the thing about quotes is quotes, they kind of get you into, in some succinct way, the story. And, and here's one of the quotes. Ralph Winter said this, Every major decision you make will be faulty until you see the whole world as God sees it. Every major decision you make will be faulty until you see the whole world as, as God sees it. And God sees these individual faces of these individual believers. And He loves them as much as He loves your child. And He loves them as much as He loves you. And I don't think we're going to see this world as God sees it. And we're going to make a whole lot of stupid money decisions and financial decisions and business decisions and life decisions and relationship decisions faulty until we see the world as God sees it. You know, 9-11 did something to our nation. It woke us up. It brought Islam to our front door. And it began to change us. It kicked our door in. We began to have prejudiced anger against the Islamic peoples of the world. Do you realize that some of the people that you're looking at right now were once in line to become Islamic? But they became followers of Christ. And I just want us to be a nation. I want us to be a church, excuse me, that gets past 9-11 in anger and we start loving 
those people who are far from Christ. Would you pray with me? As you are with me and we are together today, we think about the Great Commission that has been set before us. It is about being right here at home and being on mission with God right here most of our life, most of our time. But it's, it's far more than that. It's going far beyond that. And maybe you're here today and you're, you've, you, you're like the disciples of Christ. You were here worshiping, but you're also here doubting. And you want to become a serious follower of Christ in a major way. I wonder if you would, during this time, give your life to Jesus. Eric will be sitting here right on the front row. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ and you would, then why don't you come? Why don't you come and just talk to him and say, I, I don't know what I need to do, Eric, but I'm ready to follow Christ. Maybe you want to come and say, just kneel here at the front and say, God, I, I want to be broken for the peoples of the world that don't know you. Father God, open our eyes and break our hearts for our neighbors and our friends. But more so, Lord, even for the unreached people groups of the world. It seems so distant and so abstract, but Lord, bring it home, bring it close, bring it intimate. In Jesus' name.